fashion. So it doesn't surprise me that Lucas was on set a lot because he really, he, of the people who've done Star Wars anything, Filoni is the one person that he's given his personal blessing to. Like, yo, you got it, go. So yeah. he just, you know, so that's kind of like, you know, as far as Star Wars is concerned, like that's in in every way conceivable, he is the heir apparent. You know what I mean? Like he's the guy. Like I'm... 100% of the belief that if KK gets the boot, he's the guy. There's no question in my mind. They'd be idiots to have anybody else in charge besides him. Or at the very minimum, make it like a two, two-headed two beast where like like kind of like a Zaslav, um, not Zaslav, uh, Saffron and, uh, and Gun situation. Gun is very obviously going to be the story guy. He's going to be right. the one... He's going to be the faggy crafting sort of the, the overarching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you make him, you make, you make Filoni that guy and you have whoever replaces it. God forbid if I really, something about Kathleen Kennedy that I really like the idea of her being in charge, I guess, because she had, she's the tether to Lucas is in so much as the job that she's done is questionable at best, unfortunately. You know, uh, but yeah, I think if you if you if you reorganize Lucasfilms, it has to be with him at least as co with um, yeah. co-head. Yeah, it was, I'm, yeah. I'm, reading, I'm reading the article. It's a laugh is like on the set of The Mandalorian, director and writer Dave Filoni was given some tough love and guidance from George Lucas when the legend visited the set. The creator of Star Wars has been minimally involved, minimally involved in the franchise since he sold it to Disney. To showcase that point, fans only recently learned that Lucas' true feelings about Rogue One, according to the film's director and writer Tony Gilroy, the icon quote unquote loved it, and Lucas offered some mm. nice quote unquote nice little comments. For Dave Floney about the Clone Wars final season as well. <laughs> yeah, because well, I think, and again, aside from noticing Filoni, I think Gareth Edwards was the first one to really branch out. Not the first one, but at the same time on that level for the movies was the was the Filoni of the movies to branch it out and say, hey, this is a sandbox. We play in it. We mm-hmm. don't need to. We don't need to have everything be a reference to what George did. Like we, we got, if you're going to play in the sandbox, expand it in a way that amplifies the other experience. He, yeah. And, he uh, loved that. Cause it made his films look so much. Yes. It made them look so much better. Made him look like a freaking genius. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> he was looking at that and he's like, yo, they took one line of idea from my, mythology and turned it into something that is beautiful mm-hmm. and Garrett that was understood that that's pretty I mean yeah I, yeah I guess oh so he, he he visited the set when um the first appearance of Ahsoka that's pretty cool Armando Armando oh, that's, yeah, that's his boy that's his son man, that's cute that is his son well, I told you, he son. also he loves uh, he loves Ahsoka he loves that character mm-hmm yeah, like that's why there's no, like I said, there's no comic book version of her. There's no, there's no off books of it, no novels, none of that shit. It's, yeah, Filoni got that in no, a headlock. Yeah, he's yeah, not I, letting I, anybody else touch it. That's the one character that has not been in anywhere else but the animated series. All yeah, because right. I was wondering if she was going to pop up in the game, video game. But yeah, that none of like, She was in, uh, was she in Force Unleashed, the first one? No. 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 Oh, there was another character of the same race. That's what it was. Ah. Uh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. It was a, I was I could that's right. That's right. Um all right, I'm gonna do a proper intro. <clears throat> Welcome everybody to the oops, messed up already. <clears throat> Welcome everybody to Blurred Lines. This is your man Ken with me as always is uh Joshua Oppenheimer. <laughs> as well as <laughs> Tossing a coin for your professor. <laughs> and uh, we're Steve. back. We're back talking talking about Witcher. Uh, both parts have dropped. And uh, we finally have all watched it. And uh, we are uh, singing. We, we, our favorite bard is back singing some tunes. Our favorite Witcher is back killing monsters. Yep. And everyone is very good looking while doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's amazing how how everybody on that show is like really good looking. Like ridiculously good. It's like kind of crazy. Like there'll be like mud, blood and guts and then like makeup. Perfect. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, um, I this third season, part one and two, even though I know what's going to, you know, we all know where it's going for the next season or whatever. But for this season, I actually really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of good entertaining things that was going on um, from, you know, from just from the production and the like costuming and everything else. Like that shit was awesome. Like I was, I was saying to D'Angelo, I was like, no, D the, the every person of color that was on the show, their hair and makeup was freaking flawless. And it was like, that one thing that a lot of black actors always talk about when they're doing uh, movie sets is like usually their hair and makeup. It's always like a white person try- that kind of knows black hair or something to that effect. But on this one specifically, every black woman that was on the show, whether she was a fairy, a freaking uh, elf or a human or this or that, like braids was tight. Dreads looked good. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. She yeah. was amazing. Yeah. No, they. So I've been reading a lot about the reception and it's kind of gotten mixed reviews this season, even though I agree with you, I enjoyed this season a a lot. Um, I think for me, the enjoyment also came from having recently read the books that this particular season is based on. And um, I got to say that as far as like the adaptation that they're working with in terms of the source material, they change a lot of things, but they keep, the essence of Sapowski's narrative intact. And I think mm. I think that's what's going over a lot of these people who are complaining about changing the the race of of certain characters or the way they look or, you know, these little small minute details are losing the fact that at least for the most part, they're maintaining uh the story that he tells in in the witch i mean the witcher books aren't like extremely complex like he even admitted that he didn't write them with them in mind to be visual counterparts so you know the fact that they are able to kind of turn out or churn out there are some aspects that i think is weird that did don't come from the book but a lot of it is is really good and like you know the the first episode it opens with with a, a, an amazing fight scene scene in which you see Geralt, uh Siri and Yennefer on the run from you know all the various kingdoms and factions and and enemies that are looking to capture uh Princess Cirilla and um 
it was a great moment because it, it's the first time I think that a fully trained Siri is fighting alongside yeah. Carol. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they have that show for all of its flaws. One of the things other than the costuming and the makeup and the casting that it gets right is the fight choreography. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I looked at the um, I was watching one of the BTSs um, around it, I think for the last episode. And they were talking about that, how like, you know, the fight choreography is just as important as the actual show itself. And so yes. getting a lot of those shots and stuff on how the cameramen are like, you know, in the thick of the of the choreo <laughs> with the with all the fighters, you know, they're they're just they have their camera. They're running around, dipping and diving all this stuff while everyone's fighting. And that adds to the level of character for uh, a lot of the filming of the choreo because the choreo is definitely on point and yeah and i like it that it changes so much especially from the um from the magic fighting from uh uh from the sword fighting from just all again they make they give a good balance even when it comes to the cg monsters which you know again from a concept art perspective i love all the monsters they 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 fleshed out they all looked very like unique it didn't look like a throwaway from like uh, game of thrones or a get throwaway from like lord of the rings it had its own lived-in situation and um but I thought the choreography helps helps with that aspect of it because then in this I think in this season you finally get to see uh, Siri actually do something. <laughs> yeah. Besides yeah. crying and uh, and uh, pouting about her fate. Training and failing and training and failing. Exactly. Like now she's actually kind of a badass. You're like, oh, okay, you've been learning. You you you're out here tracking and you know you know she's using magic. She's using fighting. She's not you know plus. You know, one of the things I do like is like she is a young girl, so she doesn't have the strength that she would have. Of like the one thing about the the uh, skinny white woman is uh, kicking everybody's ass. Movies that was uh, that was popular for about five years. <laughs> you had like you know. 100, 110, 115 pound woman like knocking out a six foot five, 300, 300 pound person, <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay. Where like this one, she might be fighting someone, but she's still small, and they, they use that to the advantage. And they show yeah. them, if you're small and you have skills, you would do this to do that. But if someone was bigger than you, they would 100% put you in a chokehold and, and body slam. <laughs> Absolutely, they don't skimp on the fight details and the training with her, and you know, differentiating between how she trains with the Witcher and as you know, with Geralt versus how she trains with with the sorceress and. Jennifer with her mat with her magic and all in between that they it's one of the things in the books that the books the themes is that those three form a family father daughter mother in which ironically there's there's lots of irony in that relationship one um Geralt can't ever have children on of his own and neither can Jennifer and also and, but in series parents were they died, you know, years before she was old enough. So they they play Sapowski played a lot of with the theme and concept of destiny and those three sort of being made for each other because of the different circumstances that they that they had. The whole point with Geralt is that he's neutral, but he's totally he keeps getting as a witcher pulled further and further into this where he has to actually decide choose a side and so for him it's like simple you know he picks Siri and Yennefer that's his that's his side so um they they the show is keeping up with following that trajectory I think the only unfortunate thing but you know I don't want to talk about that yet I want to talk about 
the way that the series changes this season because oh yeah i was gonna say about that like i would say the one of the things that talking to people about witcher is always like first season everyone was like what the fuck's going on it's all over the place but it's dope entertaining but i have no idea and then when it gets to the end you're like oh this was past this was future this is present you know that and yeah. i think I enjoyed that craziness because I was along for the ride. So I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but it's awesome. So I'm here. Yeah. Plus, that's, where I, that's where I landed. I definitely had yeah. no idea what was going on. Yeah. There's Same a lot, of, yeah, a lot of fighting, yeah. a lot of boobies. There's a lot of blood. And I was like, this is awesome. And then when it got to the end, it all came together. I was like, oh, okay. You could have just added in a Chiron at the bottom of like past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that was the issue with season one because that first season is literally the the stories, the short stories that Sapowski used to build up to um, the the novel story, which he com- they combine all three. So the novel, the first novel, is is Blood of the Elves, and it opens with the scene where you know Sentra is burning and on fire and things like, and you know her um, series. The Black Knight is after Siri. But before that, all those other episodes where you see it, it feels like none of they're all random. Those are the short stories that they turn into episodes, each one having a, a thing that builds towards the bigger art. So mm. destiny and yep. and him and his, his encounter with the, the, the princess who was, you know, called evil because she was born a certain way foreshadows his encounter with Siri, who's also born a certain way and people want to use her power and she's got this fate hanging over her. So they didn't telegraph that well enough. And I think after I went back and read the books and then I went and watched that, I was like, oh, okay, I see what you did there. But it wasn't it wasn't done well enough for the general viewer. And I was a general Mm -hmm. viewer at first. You know, I had only played the video games and the video games are set after the books. Uh, so all the stuff, the only thing that happens in the books that carries over into the video games is the wild hunt thing. And so other than that, it was kind of all new to me. And so I was confused, just as confused as you guys were with the, uh, you know, what, like what's going on in season one. But in season three and season two, the narrative is like, okay, now we see where, what that was all about. Yep. And yep. season three is that turning point where things really change for the protagonists, all of them. Um, so like I was going to say, like, so Josh hopping from one to two, do you see like the, that growth from the different characters and the protagonists, or is it still, did you feel, did you still feel kind of like, you know, I kind of know what's going on, but maybe not. Um, I think I think the the latter. I think it definitely was like I have a better sense of what's going on, but I still have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you definitely have your feet hold uh, sort of seated in it a little better because they now they're not jumping around like they were before. Right. Uh, in season one, yeah. So it's all in the present, so it's a little easier to sort of get a grasp on. Um. But yeah, having not started season three yet, um, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. I have a question though. Um, what would you say were the highlights of season? But you can spoil away. Uh, what would you say were the highlights of season three so far? Well, not so far because it's already done. But what do you, what would you say between volume one and volume two? 
you know what I would say? I would say the highlight for me was the uh, big reveal of the big bad. I, okay. think did, I, th- I thought they did a good job in part in season three of the misdirection and like because you're following along with the characters as they're going and then you're and seeing all the breadcrumbs yeah and their point of view mm-hmm. so you, you as they piece it together you're like yeah that makes sense and then when the reveal happens you're like oh i didn't see that coming and mm. then and then you see the the um the reasoning behind it and i like that it wasn't a it wasn't a um a hollow reveal because it was almost like when it, when it gets revealed, you're like, oh, and then he talks about why, uh, you know, the, the, the reveal happens. You're mm-hmm. talking about why he does it. You're like, oh, oh, OK. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and, it, yeah. and it goes along with the story. So you don't feel cheated. Like a lot of times I think that's what happens with some of these big reveals where they try to do the misdirection. They essentially it's the the SVU concept, you know, the red herring for the first 17 <laughs> minutes of the, of the show. And then that at, at minute 20, they're like, ha ha, this is the real bad guy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, look at over like, there. Yeah, but this one was like, oh shit! I actually do think. Well, I mean, that guy still sucks, but he's not like as sucky he's as the actual evil. bag. <laughs> yeah, and so I think I agree with that. Um, and so I, I'll get a little more specific because, like I said, I, it's one of the things that directly from the book that when I read it, I loved it, and it changes the course of the story from that point going forward. You know, okay. I I think I mentioned to Cam that on a low level, season three of The Witcher changes things in the same way that season three of Game of Thrones did for that story, mm-hmm. The Red Wedding. Mm-hmm. So up until that point, so the, the big reveal, so there was two highlights for me. It all was in the second volume. I don't know why they split these things up. It yeah, didn't, it didn't make no it sense. It didn't need it. It didn't, nah. wasn't, it was just, they just did it. Yeah, but they anyway. Just, they could have just dropped it weekly or whatever instead of doing, like, it didn't make no yeah. sense. There was no real it reason. Made no, mm-hmm. There was no rhyme or reason to it. But anyway, um, so in the, in the second part, um, there's a big thing that happens and the big thing is, there's a, it's called, a, the, in the book, it's called the thing that coup. So they're at, the they the all the mages find out that they have a conspirator in their ranks, someone mm-hmm. who's working with Nilfgaard the whole time. Um, and Nilfgaard is the ones in the black armor who burn Sentra and the the primary antagonist of the of the of the story. And so what's revealed is that um, the sorcerer Vilgefortz was the one who all along was trying to um, capture Siri and was working on working for Nilfgaard. And he has his own reasons. But the only reason I say him by name is because he and Geralt have a fight. And that fight is what changes everything. <laughs> because um, in order to understand the Witcher world, you got to understand what Witchers are in that world. They are the sure. badass Jedi. You cannot, if you defeat a, they're the Knights of the Seven. Like they are the baddest warriors in the land. Like mm. you, and Geralt of Rivia, the White Wolf, is among the bats. So Geralt, of course, and and Vilgefortz is revealed as the the evil villain. They have a clash, and Vilgefortz kicks his ass. Like, yep, not even close to a fight. 
<laughs> and wow. talks to him the whole time, explaining and- to him why, hey, how he is going to use this moment to to send a message to the continent. Teachable moment. To a teachable <laughs> moment. Tells girl his arrogance will be his undoing. And it, it surely is. And I liked it. So because, it changes everything. Yeah. And I liked it too, because it was almost like the, you know, the wolf and sheep clothing. That's like, I've been playing lame this whole time. The hardest, the hardest thing about this whole ruse is me acting like I'm not powerful. Right. He said it. <laughs> and, like, and, the hardest like thing that. was holding back. Yep. And now that I don't back. have to do it. And I'm, the reason why it was cool too, is because, you know, you have a, almost a, a mage versus a fighter type of person. And yes. the, the cool part of that, I like about it. Fantasy fight. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, the thing I liked about it the most was you, it was uh, from something I've never seen before was the mage had his staff or whatever, but his staff would, would teleport and disappear as he was fighting. So it just, depending nice. on what hand he was like, he was about to hit with, that's when the, the staff would appear. So he nice. might start with one uh, with the right and he might block with the left, but all of a sudden the staff's over there. So it didn't matter how fast Garrett was, uh, it, was it just it was just there. So like the whole fight itself was actually super dope. And then, yeah. and then him getting in again, Harold getting his ass whooped, which again, you've never seen that before because he usually, you know, even if he gets a little bit of rough and tumble, might get a little mm-hmm. dirt on him. Comes out on he top. always come on top. And this one was like, nah, man. Like, it was just all, and it's the wow. point where he leaves them broken and battered and he looks at them. And he's like, all right, man, well, I'll see you later. Uh, you I'm going know, to get Siri. <laughs> I you failed. You. I'm going to get her. <laughs> so he's like, and and that's what I mean when I say it's it's a turning point because mm. up until that point, Geralt had never been bested like that. Right. Especially not by a, 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 a mage, a sorcerer. So it, he went into that thinking like, this is, I'm going to take you out. Siri, Siri will be okay. And Vilgefort showed him that was not the case. That was, um, I think, that episode is called Everyone Has a Plan Until You Get Punched in the Face. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, na- that's the, that's the name of the episode. Is, Shout out to Mike Tyson. Yeah, it is appropriate because Gerald had a plan until Vilgefort's punched his ass in the face. And, it, and, and, that, and, that, and so, again, because Gerald has been bested and you know, series on the run and universe trying to figure things out. The, the, the brotherhood has collapsed. Um, all those things happen in the, in that one episode. Yeah. And then, mm. and, and I think also too, they also established a pretty good, cause another, another thing I think that the, that Witcher does really well is balance the race agnostic situation of their whole world. So yes. there's no real, like anybody can be anything. So you have black and mm. white people, Latinos, da, 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 da. Um, and I like that when they introduce anyone that's a side quote unquote supporting or side character, they're there for a reason. They'll, they'll end up coming up somewhere later or, right. or, you know, they'll add it. So they do a good job of, of threading that needle so that there's no waste yeah. screen time. And I think in terms of like the character development, like that was actually really cool. And then also too showing the, um, the arrogance of the people that were so high and mighty for most of the, most of the two seasons mm, and yeah. when they get, and then when they, when the reveal happens and they show that they're the ones that are basically the fools, they get, um, they're, they're just as shaken up as anybody else would be. And so mm, then they yeah. have to figure out all that. And I think that was really, really dope. So they did a good job of like, you know, it wasn't on some level of like red wedding type shit, but it was definitely on a level of like, uh, let's shake up our world and these characters and have some consequences for these actions. And I can talk yeah. about it all the time, lack of consequences makes a boring show, but having some type of consequences is like, Oh shit, this is now you can see like, okay, and so like another good one was um, 
you know, uh, when Siri goes off on her own, something, something happens, she gets teleported into another area of the, the, the continent or whatever, and she's on her own and she basically goes on the acid trip. Yeah. A vision quest, basically. Yeah. And she gets that, that classic uh, fever dream, well, fever dream, not fever, but heat stroking, yep. uh, and she starts seeing things and she gets a moment of clarity and she uses fire magic. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's forbidden. And so it there that scene set up a lot of stuff that's down the way as well. And and so I just bring all that up to say, I don't see what the problem is as far as these don't seem like people who hated Sapowski books because they are literally the, the stakes are the same. The reveals, the, the big picture things ha- happen the way they do in his book, or at least as close mm-hmm. to that as they can for uh, a tele, a, te- a tele, a televised or a television adaptation. They, 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 they do a good job of pulling out the stuff and, and making the material and making it for TV, because I don't think all of it is, is for can be easily adapted. And I think that's what, what I was talking about when I criticize the walking dead and right TV writers is that you can take certain aspects of the adaptation and make it work for television and it'll be idiosyncratic to TV and it'll, and it'll just work. And it might piss some people off, but at the same time you have to do it because you can't take every page and verbatim put it on screen. Yep. 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 That's why it's an adaptation as opposed to a, a direct thing. And I think, I think as I've, I've only read, I've almost finished the first book, which is all the short stories. But it, mm-hmm. but but having played the game, watching the show, and then what, reading the book, now I'm involved, invested. My visions are already how I've seen it already, and so it all makes sense in terms of that aspect of it. So I think yeah. like. And it's funny because I've seen the, you know, I was reading some of the the naysayers about what the, why they didn't like it or whatever, whatever. But I was like, in my mind, I'm like, man, what it it, it kind of goes back to that. Are you not entertained? Like, what, what did you actually want from this? <laughs> As opposed to I liked I liked Witcher because it was when in their first season, they established really quickly. They are not Game of Thrones. And they are not yeah. Lord of the Rings. So just to let yeah, everybody right. know that real quick. This is not that it is fantasy. We're having a lot of fun. It's yep. not too deep, but it's a little bit, and you enjoy yeah. it. And I like there's a complex narrative, but it's not something that you can't really just like get into and and have fun while you're while you're sitting. Everything's about Siri, and as long as you, as long as you keep that in mind, you can follow along. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not, I think they do a good they do a good job of capturing the world of the game and the books. Yeah. Without while yeah. making it its own thing, like yes. you can. That's all you, but. I mean, you can never please fans, right? No. You know what I mean? No. Like, like I mean, uh, as we record this, Ahsoka is premiering right now. And <laughs> I promise you that Star Wars nerds are going to have a problem with something. Yep. You're going to see some backlash. You're going to see, Ahsoka, shoot the blue. Like, just, just <laughs> you know, just like things, man, for shit's sake. Like it's it's there. It's not going to be the exact thing that you had in your pea brain 
you know, as far as like what you think should and, and shouldn't happen on screen and, you know, her tunic should be dark brown instead of light brown and just the makeup on her, the, the makeup markings on her face don't match exactly to the character in the animated scene. Just come on, man. I just, just can't wait relax. to see how people act, react to the live action Ezra. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm going to lose my, I know I'm going to lose but, my shit. But you're, but Ahsoka has already had her reaction. But. Yeah, but you're right though. I think that's <laughs> the thing where it's like, I think we're at a level now, and it's funny because I was at a real. I was just was reading or listening to a good pod about um, uh, opinion fatigue. That's what I was talking about, and they were oh, okay. and they're talking about. Unfortunately, we live in a time now where everyone feels like they should comment on everything, and because of mm-hmm. that. And we have the platforms to do something, right? Yeah, yeah this so, is the ills of social media right there. Yeah. 100%. And so the, the journalist was basically talking about that. And she, she wrote a really good piece in the Atlantic about it. But she was saying, you know, the, at, say the people that are in our, our age group, Generation X, Millennials, whatever, we're, we were very cognizant of what we would say online because we knew that it might affect, you know, whether it's our job situation or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And even now we might, we, we might, we might say some of our takes, but we're not saying everything. The generation sure, after us, yeah, so the generation <laughs> after us, millennials specifically, but also the Gen Z folks and all them, like there is no, there's no quote unquote fear or even like thinking of a take like, no. you know, and I laugh because like that makes total sense. Cause I remember there was a, um, it was a Heisman um, trophy candidate and he was, I think I'm not even sure if he won the Heisman or if he was just a candidate, but someone was talking to him and then someone brought up a tweet from like 10 years ago or something like that. Like, Oh, do you regret saying this tweet 10 years ago? And dude was like, bro, I was 10 years old. <laughs> but I was laughing because I was like, but that would make sense because if you grew up in this age of social, yeah. You would have a you would have a Twitter sure. account at twelve thirteen saying dumb shit about whatever Star Wars or whatever the fuck it is, and yeah. so I think that aspect of it now where it's like if you don't like people if you don't like something people feel like it's almost their obligation to go tell people that they don't like it so they can find other yeah. people who like it and yes. we can not yeah. we can all not like it together. <laughs> well, well, that's what Reddit is. I mean, I I, I googled. The Witcher season three, and I saw so many Reddit feeds. Of, oh, they ruined it, and oh, it could have been this, and it could have been that. And I was like, okay, but it actually is pretty good the way it is. So, what yeah, y'all just like things, like yep. y'all just please yep. like things. Like, yeah. God. it's one thing if something is bad because of right. its execution, but it's another thing when you're just like hating on it because they changed a fantasy made up person because Heimdall is black. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that part is is insane. So that was my favorite because it's bad. Then okay, rip it apart. But if it's just that, if it works, then just find something to like, man. Find something to love. Like have love in your life, for God's sakes. But I mean, you know, that, that Heimdall was my favorite of all of those. Like Heimdall, Heimdall is not, you know, Idris Elba's a good actor, but you know, like uh, he's not, you know. He's not. He's not Nordic, okay. So you know he shouldn't be. Uh, you know he shouldn't be playing Heimdall. And then Idris bodied it, bodied it, <laughs> and everybody shut up. Everybody shut up. I mean, it, it was yeah. beautiful. It is the same with uh, you know the 
my, my comedian homie was saying he has a joke where he talks about how uh based off a real story where like some he was talking about the little mermaid he watched it and he's like oh it was that bad i just enjoyed it watching my daughter it was cool and then somebody hopped in his uh comments on some like well you know it's not, i don't think it's really accurate because how could a how can a melanated person be a, a, a get all the sun raises to get their skin to be that way if they're all the way down the deeps of the ocean uh-huh. <laughs> and my friend was right. like hey, hold on hold on so you're taking racism all the way to the ocean <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous, man. It just doesn't make any sense. But like I, going you hear back yourself to, talking. Yeah, exactly. But then going back, like you said, to Witcher, where it's just like, um, and then, you know, and again, I we're, we're we're all geeks and about our own situations and things that we like. And like, like say for instance, I'm I'm in a comic book group and we talk about the comic book stories and some of the dumb shit that happens over there. But and like, but again, it's more like we're still reading it. And we're still consuming. Yeah, you're still gonna plow through and finish it because there's always another story. Yep, exactly. And I think that's the thing where it's like uh, now. Before it was the you you had your friends that you can bitch to. Now you have the you could throw it out into the ether, the whole ass world, <laughs> and you can find other yeah. other and I can be yeah. other uh, melancholy, sad souls that are mad about that one thing that you really love that <laughs> apparently somebody bitched in and has ruined your life or something. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I, I remember when. At, I remember when Voyager uh, first premiered uh, and uh, there was a black Vulcan, first black Vulcan probably ever anywhere. And people were like, well, come on, man, come on, just enjoy the thing. And Tuvok wound up being one of the best things about Voyager. Mm, Yep. Just just like things, man, or or don't and just shut, but shut up about it. Going back to The Witcher, I'm looking at the cast, and it is a extremely diverse cast. Like yeah. you look at this cast, that's a problem and for people, D'Angelo. And it's <laughs> it's amazing, but oh, you it's, know it's awesome. And I was going to say before uh, the the one cool thing I liked about The Witcher, the two good things I liked about it was it was a very diverse cast in a way that didn't throw its diversity in your face. These people just exist in this world. It doesn't happen to be a black elf. It doesn't happen to be a Blah, 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 blah. They are in the world. They exist. This is exactly what it is. Ain't nobody tripping that they different color skin or whatever, whatever. How can I be racist? How can I be racist (laughs) if no one is divided, if everyone's the same and no one points out that there's a black elf or, or, or a woman in power or, you know, how can I be racist and sexist and bigoted? I, I, I can't, I can't be me. I want to be me. (laughs) And what's, go ahead. Go go ahead. Excuse me, I was just going to say um, another going because on the topic of things that were really cool in in the two part season three, one of the other things that I really liked was um, the whole fight between the mages and the and the um, the the Nilf guardians and the squirrels, the, the elves or whatever. And when um, the the. Lead the rectoress to say a DeVries does the spell of the last resort. Like that was pretty, it was a, a great visual. I mean, it looked amazing. You you know what I'm talking about, Cam. Mm-hmm, like she, mm-hmm. she's up That's on awesome. the tower, and like she's it's like when you talk about when your show is about characters who perform magic and in a world where magic is possible, that is the kind of visual you wanna you want to create. Like uh, a powerful sorcerer standing on a tower using the lightning of the sky to vanquish her enemies. Like that's 
that's dope stuff. And I yeah, think I'm just hyped somebody was fighting squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say too is like the other cool thing was um they the the power dynamics of uh gender is also another flat thing. And so it's like it didn't really mm-hmm. matter who women or man or this or that and blah 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 blah. But everyone was, was everything was fluid and it flowed. And so you had power for women, you had power for men, you had you know interchangeable and all that kind of stuff. Shout out to uh, Philippa, uh, her and uh, Cassie Claire. Is that her actress? Claire. Cassie she is Claire. Gorgeous yeah. and awesome. And like the and she bodies the role of Philippa Alhart. I don't so, care what anybody so says. Good. And it's 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 deceiving. It's uh, seductive, but it's also powerful and understated. And on top of that, going back to the hair situation, hair is always on point. <laughs> but yeah, I, she, looks I, she looks great, but I like that in the in the Witcher specifically, you know, the all the women in the show aren't like, I am powerful because I'm a woman. It's I am powerful because I'm a character that's powerful. <laughs> it's, it's pretty and, much and, 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 and I that's, like that. that's a thing. That's a thing that gets lost on a lot of stuff. You know, we talk about that all the time, whether you know, on the pod or privately as we're watching stuff like a character can't just be the thing that they are you have to sort of put a stamp on the fact that they're the thing that they are you know mm. you know there, there has to be this diatribe about how you know i'm a woman and so therefore i have to blah blah blah, blah. just be just be it just be it you don't have to force it you don't have to you don't have to spoon feed it you don't have to like let the audience show don't tell man you don't have to spoon feed the audience into the idea that a woman can be powerful, there's much more, there's much more there if you're able to show that character being the thing that you want them to be. You don't have to write dialogue saying, you know, that this person is the thing that they are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably just the burden of representation across the board, even when it's with, uh, you know, Black identity politics or, or Latino identity politics it's it happens in that in that form when it leaks into the storytelling and it just isn't showing individuals existing in their world and occupying the space but also the the voices of of whatever their uh identity politics or gender politics might be yeah and i think that's a it's a cool aspect of it because they did a good job of keeping that like again they're their primary focus was telling a good story with interesting characters and some, you know, kick-ass magic and, and fight scenes. But then, you know, how they how they painted the story was really, really good. And so it's like it, it actually, which is funny because um, I never watched the full series, but uh, Bridgerton had the same type of thing where they're they're basically race agnostic, so anybody could be anybody, and doesn't really they're not accounting for where this person came from, what continent. It was literally just casted, and it made the cast more of a cornucopia of types of people and it was actually mm-hmm. kind of fun and it's set in like you know uh new england time at that time victorian sorry victorian, victorian yeah yeah so then but yeah. it just makes it fun because you're just like oh this is kind of just cool people are just existing and, and i like that and, and then something like this in fantasy where most people are have been used to fantasy being set in you know european situations or that aspect of it so they are or nordic or you know that's and in their minds like you know 
wait until we get, you know, an Asian King Arthur or something or like a, <laughs> a good, yeah. and, or, you know, the, something to that effect. And so I think that I like that right. when they just do race agnostic and it's a fantasy because like, yeah, it could be that, you know, and I think that's the most. It's, interesting just, it's a bunch of people, not a, a black guy or yep. an Asian guy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because that's right. what fantasy is. It's fantasy. It's imagination. Yep. Um, the last thing I would like to talk about as far as The Witcher goes is this season is also bittersweet. For all, the main reason is because it's the last with Henry Cavill. Deep mm. sigh. Deep sigh. And oh, I, I just don't I just don't have as much confidence as those as the Witcher producers do that that I mean I'm sure it's gonna be like another year or maybe a year and a half before the fourth season comes, but it's weird when you replace the protagonist in that yeah. way. I mean, there's examples of it being done, but not the almost the exact same. I don't know this. This yeah, it's gonna be a it's a, it's gonna be a hard sell, man. I think they. I'm almost. I'm at, I'm at a point now where like we already know that Henry Cavill is not being Superman anymore. We also know that. We, now we have the writer strike that's going on. And it's almost like however many months. So yeah, Warhammer is not happening. Yeah, I, so, told so, you, I, so, <laughs> I was like, Warhammer is not happening. So, so now, so we all know Henry Cavill ain't uh, he ain't working right now. So right. Uh, what up, dog? Like you know, Dude, hey, I do. Well, already... Good, bro. Sorry. No, I was, no, saying, I was just right. gonna say I I think that. It's probably not too late. And I honestly don't think that they probably ruled it out yet, because if you think about it, people have already talked about not watching the show. Yeah. Like literally talked about like, this is it. They're done with it. Yeah. They don't want to, they don't. And you already have that big contingent of people who are really watching it to hate it uh, because of, of things, but they like Henry Cavill as Geralt. That is the one thing mm-hmm. that across the board, everybody agrees on. And so you, they're taking that away and adding Liam Hemsworth. And with all due respect to him, I don't know what he he might pull it off and be a great Geralt, but it just seems like a big gambit. That's all I'm saying. Well, I mean, there there are instances of shows going on through to completion with the with the uh the lead actor being replaced uh uh what was i thinking of spartacus being oh, yeah. yep <laughs> being the one being the the the, mo- the most prominent one that comes to mind for me um that's a good and i mean bro. they they and, and i mean it was it was such a big deal because the the show came out of nowhere. Nobody, I don't think anybody expected it to do what it did in terms of numbers. Um, and after the first season, it was a shoe in to get to get renewed. And then the lead actor uh, was stricken with cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so they believed in this guy so much that they went ahead and did a prequel and had him do VO for it while he was recovering. And they did a whole season as a prequel waiting for him to get better. And so it was the, they took a year off. They did the seat, they did the prequel. Then they took a year to film this, uh, I think somewhere in between starting production on the third season, uh, he passed away. He got, he took a turn for the worse and passed away. Rest in peace. I forget the guy's name, uh, unfortunately. 
Um, but he he bodied it like, and people were like, "This is this is done. There's no way that you can get anybody to replace this dude." And sure enough, they did. Um, and it was, it was good. Character. It wasn't. It was, it was the same character. It was still deep plead. They they got a replacement for the guy who played Spartacus. Um, and it was okay. You know, it was good. It wasn't. It very obviously was not as good as the original actor. Yeah, but, but it, it was good enough. But that's also, I want to say that's a bit of apples and oranges, and here's why. It's the same, but it's hmm. different because I think that with Cavill, fans are taking it a little more oh, yeah, because they it's, cast it. They feel like they cast it. him. Like, he was the chosen one. It's the first example. Yeah. Or not first, but like one of those examples. He was the main guy. Like he he campaigned he they campaigned for it. He campaigned for it. Like it was it was a it was the perfect melting together. It was like the Rosario Dawson thing uh for exactly. for Ahsoka. You know, it, it was the same thing. Like they campaigned for it. She got wind of it and was like, Well, I'm down, y'all down. And you know, Lucasfilm snagged her to get to do it. So yeah, yeah, you're right. You're yeah, absolutely right. right. It's, it's no, very different in not- that regard. That, that's the, only, You're right. that's You're the right. only difference and that's the reason why I think it won't have that same still punch that Spartacus continued to have because mm. and you have that you know how fans already take shit personal and so, yeah. and so, yeah. and so yeah. now you have there's already the narrative of that he's been screwed around so many times and like to, to have him to not be the Witcher now. Oh wow, they're gonna really. But I think he's been gracious about it. So I think even if he doesn't, if they don't bring he's him back, pro. yeah, he's Liam Hemsworth. Well, he actually he walked away. It wasn't like they they just fired him. Like he, yeah, yeah. So he has no choice but to be a pro about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was what it was. You made you 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 took a swing. A decisions. Yeah, you took a swing. It was arguably still the smart swing to make but you know you missed and you know if you and unfortunately in one swing you struck out twice where it goes you know what i mean like he's not gonna be hurting for work he'll get more work he'll get other there are other shows and other movies for him to do he'll be fine it's, yeah. it, i think but i think in so it, it putting putting myself in the place of that kind of fan, I'm not that big of a Witcher fan, but I don't know. Let's say Anton Mount gets replaced as as Pike uh, next season on uh, on Strange New Worlds. That might piss me off. <laughs> that might that might upset me a bit because I'm pretty attached to that guy. I mean, he's obviously not the same level of star as a. Uh, as Henry Cavill, but you know, uh, he's he a he's an established actor already before he took on Strange New World, and when he came on his Pike on Discovery, people were like, "Oh, give that man a show." Um, so you know, uh, would I be would I be upset to the point where I'm not watching Strange New Worlds anymore? Highly unlikely because it's a very well written show. Yeah, 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 and then I think that's a better way that's a better way to put it where it's like. You know, it's all it's the same with the, you know, in the early days of the MCU when they did their casting, right? They would, the casting would get announced and everybody'd be like, mm, you mean the human torch guy? He's gonna be Captain America? I don't know if this is gonna work. Right. And then yeah. they see it, and then they're like, Oh, okay, Captain America. Okay, that works. And now you can't picture anybody else playing Captain America. Yeah. So I I'm 
as much I enjoy the show, I enjoy Henry Cavill as uh, Geralt as well. But I think I, I was like, I am, I would, if, if the fourth season is the final season, I'm going to see it to the end because I've come this far and I've enjoyed all of it. So, mm. you know, I, you know, again, I'm not of the same ilk of the fandom that gets all, you know, but hurt when shit doesn't go their way. So yeah. I'm, I'm you're, not gonna, you're not going to fill out a petition. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I will, oh, it, the fourth uh, season was definitely will not be the last. They going to, if they keep on track the way they're going, they got to do at least three more. Interesting. And honestly, wow, like, two. I'm kind of in it. Like it's dude, there's some fun stuff that they're going with it. And I think like, you know, let's see what happens with the bit, the baby Hensworth. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll surprise us all. You know, I think they, you know, I, I think at this point now, when it comes down to casting and stuff, I'm, I'm always more like, yo, let's see how it goes. Cause even to be honest, say with like Ahsoka is a good example, the uh, Rosario situation. I like the imagery of it, but I was like, I wonder how it's actually going to work out on film. Right. How is she going to actually do in the role? Yeah. And in, in the role, you're like, oh shit. Okay, let's go. So I sure. think the, the premature uh, gripes for baby Hensworth getting it is, you know, well-founded because, you know, again, this is a beloved uh, actor and character, but again, we accept a new Spider-Man. We accept a new James Bond. Look, maybe this is going to be that, that same that level of a uh, of situation. It to quote the, so to much quote, to quote the homie Eric Mormon. Shout out to a friend of the pod, steady listener. Uh, he, he always, he'll, he'll always, even with me, he'll always remind me, "Yo, just wait and see, bro. Like, just <laughs> calm down. Just, just can we see what happens? You don't know, and that's that's one hundred percent the truth. Liam Hemsworth could possibly be a better. It's as unlikely as that statement is. Yep." We could all be surprised and we could be a better Geralt than Henry Cavill ever was. As as unimaginable as that appears right now. You still got to wait and see. You don't know. You don't know how he's going to be in the role. So, you know. You're right. And I think made up, he probably looks more like the game version of Geralt. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. I can see that. What yeah, the thing? So yeah, yeah. Right. no, that's that's fine. I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm still gonna watch it season four because yeah. yep. I've watched this far. Why stop now? Yeah, and I'm in it. And so unless I'm, it's I'm, totally bad. I'm, yeah, exactly. Like if they, <laughs> if they keep the level of storytelling that they're doing, and then Baby Hensworth is in it, cool. Yeah. It'll be fine. Exactly. It'll be, it won't um, be Henry Cavill, and that's just all it will be. It's just yep. you know. So, all right. So now to to put a point on most of this and all of this, uh, only Josh has watched Oppenheimer and he has tickets to go watch the 70, 70 millimeter version later. But one man review, Josh, take it away. Oppenheimer, three hours of your life. Was it? Worth it? <laughs> it was garbage. No, um, <laughs> no, it was it was fine. It was it was it was it was better than fine. Let me let me not undersell it at all. It was a it was a really well done biopic, uh, expertly done. Uh, uh, I I I make no bones about the fact. Uh, I'm not trying to hide the fact that I am a big Christopher Nolan fan. They're not as big as D'Angelo, um, but I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, and you know he he he. It it wasn't the stereotypical Christopher Nolan movie where there's certain stylized things that you can sort of expect. I mean, he shot it like a Christopher Nolan movie, but I mean, you wouldn't see, you don't necessarily sit down and look at a shot and go, oh yeah, that's totally a Nolan thing. Like it's just, and, and I defy any film school nerd to do that. 
Like it's not that deep, but um, it is very much a, a smartly told story. Um, uh, Killian Murphy is absolutely going to get a, uh, is that his name? Killian Murphy? The, the lead actor? Yeah. Yeah. Cillian Murphy. Yeah, Killian Murphy. Yeah. Um, he is absolutely going to get at least nominated for there's gonna be multiple, multiple nominations for this thing. Uh, a lead actor supporting, uh, actor and actress cinematography absolutely is going to get an award. I'm calling that right now. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's an expertly done with production design, the whole bit. Um, Oh, and the audio, Jesus, yeah, probably is going to get a, uh, it's probably going to get a nod. I don't think it deserves necessarily a re- uh, an award um, because of the way that uh, Christopher Nolan insists on recording audio. <laughs> um, but, um, say again? I said blasphemy. Oh, no, it's terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Because um, he uses, he uses Nat sound on set and that drives me insane. And it's recorded really low all the time. Um, but like, that's the one nitpick amongst a bunch of things. If you go to see it at halfway decent theater or you have, you know, a decent, uh, a decent home theater in your crib, like you're, you'll be fine. But I mean, just top to bottom, it, it is, it, it's, it's a really well-made film. Um, I I see it walking away with a bunch of awards. Um, but what I find int- what's interesting is um, how Warner Brothers sort of timed the release of Barbie to sort of middle finger Nolan for leaving, <laughs> for, for leaving them. Uh, that's an interesting little tidbit that I found out recently. That's pretty um, yeah, it's 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 hilarious, but it's also wildly petty, and it dates back to the pandemic with them, uh, with uh, Warner Brothers releasing Tenet both on streaming and in uh, and oh, in theaters. Right, that's right. And everybody basically, yeah, yeah. That's so right. he left. He, he left because he, he uh, Nolan basically wanted the movie to be released in theaters, and Warner Brothers turned around. He was like, granted. Nah. Granted, granted, I think they, it, the compromise could have been to hold off on releasing it if they really wanted to do all of that. And Nolan was really, you know, had a hard on about uh, about it not being released on streaming it is a theater film. And I'm a firm believer in, you know, films that are uh, theater films being seen in the theater. I, I, that's the only way you're going to keep movie theaters alive. So, well, technically, you know, every uh, film should be a theater, a film that's shown in the cinema. Hell no! Not every film. Not every film. No, but what I'm saying is that if that film, that note to Nolan's point is like mm-hmm. you, you want he makes all of his films to be filmed to be shown. Oh sure, in yeah, theater. yeah. I thought you were talking about broad spectrum. Yes, yes. In no, uh, all Nolan films are the, are movie theater movies. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I thought you meant like brand grand, grand spectrum. Like, like broad well, I mean, spectrum in a like, perfect world, I did, but I did not need to see Black Widow's movie. You know, as much as I enjoyed it, I did not need a theater for that movie. No, no, I mean in the perfect world. I'm being sarcastic. Obviously. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, Mm-mm, not every day. I disagree with that vehemently. Uh, but yeah, no, no, you're right. Yes, you're 100 percent right. Um, proper cinema films definitely require. 
uh, a proper cinema. Yes, one hundred percent. And this movie is no, and and so Oppenheimer is no, uh, no exception. Uh, I the mean, standout. I, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say, like, I, I agree with that because I remember I watched. What did I watch? Oh, I missed Fury Road in the theaters. Oh yeah. But then I got to see it on a projector, like at a, a large scale at the very least with a good sound mm-hmm. system. Again, doesn't so doesn't take away from uh, being in the theater. But no. it, it, that I, if that was my first example of watching it, it actually helped it because I was like, oh, my God, one, just it just looked gorgeous. And then it's sound cinematic. Town yeah. is like, what is going like it, dude? It was great. I, it was, so I really oh. wish I would have went to the cinema to see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was bananas. That was that was probably and probably one of my favorite movie theater movies of the last probably what ten years. Ooh, wow! Yeah, one, I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but it's one of my like, I would like top five of that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think my favorite was Interstellar, even though it was very long. I still really enjoy seeing that. Interstellar was brilliant. Yeah, and seventy millimeter, but. I agree with you, Mad Max, Fury Road. It's the scale of it. I mean, that's yeah. the mm-hmm. that's the reason why you have to see scale. it in that scale. in that capacity because it's meant to be seen and experienced. This you're meant to experience all of that at once, not being sh- uh, shorthanded on the audio, not being shorthanded on on the visual. It's supposed to hit you all at mm-hmm. once, and you be taken into that world. In the, into the scale of that, because I've heard, um, and Josh, you've seen it, so you know, but I've heard the the atomic bomb scene is just mm-hmm. like no other. Like, it's just like, like nothing you've, it's almost like you can legit say it's nothing you've seen before. Nothing movie. you've seen before and certainly nothing you've heard before. Yes. Mm. It, it, and so there's a recurring that aside, um, there's this recurring sound effect thing where it's like, it sounds like a room full of people stomping and clapping. And it sounds like, it, it seems as though uh, it's the anxiety of Oppenheimer in certain moments. And then you realize that they're playing over and over and over right after they successfully pop off the bomb and all the scientists are in this room and they're like in bleachers and they're all stomping their feet and clapping their hands, uh, cheering Oppenheimer as he comes out to make a speech about the success of the test. It's genius sound design. It's just, it's, I, I can't, from that standpoint, I can't say enough about that movie. It's, it's, I don't want to, I, I hesitate to say, I hesitate to limit Nolan and say that that was his, like, as far as biopics go, probably his magnum opus. I don't think he'll ever do another one like that because it was just, I, I don't see it. But, no, you know, I don't see him doing another another biopic. I, ooh, you know, what he's talking, I think Oppenheimer was one that I think I had heard him talk about that before he, before he made it. I know, I think that was mm-hmm. like one of those passion projects. But, um, oh, for sure. But yeah, I seriously doubt he'll do another because he's just not that type of filmmaker. Right. So he's not going to just like you'll probably never see him do another superhero type film. Oh, yeah. No, because he's been there, done that three times over. But he also did it on his own terms. The Dark Knight Mm -hmm. trilogy cannot be compared to anything else, any other superhero. 
story Ew, film. Right. There's no comparing those films to anything else. And that's and that's sort of the type of filmmaker that Nolan has always been. You probably can't mm-hmm. compare Oppenheimer to any other biopic from any figure set during that time, whether it be, Ew. you know, you, you can't compare it because he makes it so that it's not compared to anything else. It's an experience in and mm-hmm. of itself, just like Interstellar, just like even uh, Inception, mm, you know, and Tenet. Oh, yeah. Uh, these are all films, and that's what I was saying about the whole his films are made to be in the movie theater, so Warner Brothers are never going to win that argument with him because it's, I mean, they won it because they have the, the they're the gatekeeper, yeah, but at the, the end of the day, they're the ones who make the, the call, right? Right, but yeah. he was proven right because Tenet didn't go over as well as it should have and it would have if it had had a full theatrical release, theatrical mm-hmm, run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, overall, it was a, it was a really well done film. Um, I have some reservations about going to sit and sit through another three hours <laughs> to watch it in 70 do. millimeter. But the technician in me, absolutely insists that I go see it, uh, that I go see it in 70 millimeter just to satisfy that part of my brain. Um, knowing that that's lingering out there and, uh, and not seeing it in 70 millimeter, that was like Dunkirk, same deal. Uh, Dunkirk, I was like, I have to go see this in 70 millimeter, even though I wasn't thoroughly impressed. I don't know if it was the seating angle. Um, but I, I, I was not wowed or impressed or any, I mean, there were, I, I enjoyed aspects of the different stories that they told that, that were told in that movie. But overall, I was just kind of, I just kind of shrugged when I was done. Um, I am I like, of the impression, huh? No, I just said, I like Dunkirk, but I thought it was cool, but it was, you know, it was, it was cool shrug. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, like I wasn't was born with it. I like that there weren't a lot. There wasn't a lot of dialogue. Uh, yes. So there, like I said, there are aspects of it that I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed. I don't think I enjoyed the casting because all of those dudes, every last one of those soldiers, looked exactly alike. Like the three or four main characters that they follow, that were the the infantry, uh, the intra- infantry uh, storm in the beach. All three of those guys looked alike. I couldn't tell them apart. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I like you said, I think the it goes back to the again, are you gonna, you know, take another three hours of your life to go see something again? And for years I am, things, am. For, from a, like you said, an audio situation and for stuff that and again, we actually enjoy the cinema and we want if it's right. made in 70 millimeter, then we need to go see it in 70 millimeter. If it's a IMAX film, we should probably go see it in IMAX. And so I think yeah. since we actually enjoy those aspects of it and we respect the, the creators of doing making it in those formats, then it makes sense to go see them when you can at that level. Cause then it, you know, yeah. it's a full experience. Yeah. And I, I would say for, for Nolan, oh, I, I was just going to say really quick, I think for Nolan, it is really him. Sh- he's trying to get that across to sh- the reason you have to see these things in the theater is because you have to respect all the artists that put their hands on it. It's not mm-hmm. just the writer and the director. It's the audio, the sound guy, the audio engineers, the mixers, the editors. You have to experience that by being in the theater. Yeah. 100%. Yes, that's absolutely accurate. And, and there is a certain craftsmanship to how Nolan constructs movies 
both in production and in post-production that I don't want to say is unparalleled because there are other people who can duplicate what he does. But I think the combination of, of things like how he does what he does um, using the same tools that everybody else has uh, is just unparalleled. Like he's, and that's what makes him an auteur. Like he doesn't, he, like I said, just everybody has the same tools that he that he has at his disposal but the way that he uses them the way that he shoot the way that he shot uh the way that he shot Oppenheimer the way that the audio was recorded much as I don't like it I am I will freely admit that it is a stylized way that you have someone record audio that you mix the audio if if I was mixing it the first thing I would do is ramp up the dialogue he doesn't do that he keeps it natural to how it was recorded in the room on the day um uh even the 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 performance that he got out of Robert Downey Jr. One of the things that he told Downey to do was he was like, yo, you have a very specific skill set that you deploy in every film that you're in. You are not gonna use any of those skills. And when you see it, you'll see what he means when he says that. And it is absolutely I don't want to say career defining, but career changing performance for Robert Downey Jr. I have a hard time believing that someone else will get the best supporting actor unless it's someone in that film, unless it's a, unless it's like Matt Damon, which I doubt. I, I don't see that either because he just, there, there was something about the performance, the, the marching orders that he gave Downey and how he was able to sort of, enact what he would what nolan told him when you see it i'm telling you it's it is first of all you're not gonna like his character number one like every every time you sit down you're on the screen in every other movie he's your best bud you want him you want to go get a drink with him you want to hug him you want to give him a noogie like he's your guy and he is not that guy in this movie. He's absolutely not that guy. Um, I'm gonna like him a lot. Oh, you're gonna love it, bro! It's it's brilliant. <laughs> he he's. I mean, just everybody. Not, not, I mean, not just your for your nihilistic tendencies, but hey. just in general, it's a brilliant <laughs> performance, and it's brilliant because. And Downey even said this in an interview. He brought tools to bear that he didn't know he had. He usually relies on being glib and goofy and, you know, with the quick clip and, you know, it's a lot of swift banter and none of that is at play in this film. He strips, Nolan strips all of that away from him. And I mean, the makeup and the glasses and the haircut and the, 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 the way that they, you know, the way that they, uh, that they trim his, his goatee and beard. He's not, you know, he doesn't look like Tony Stark. He looks like Strauss. He looks yeah. exactly like Strauss. And I think that's and, a good thing for, especially for him at this point where he took yeah. what a good 20 years within one character. And then now he gets to kind of branch out to other stuff. Yeah. And be those. I mean, like we all like when the prototypical uh, good guy character, uh, character actor always plays, <laughs> like, become gets to play a, a villain or something like that. Because every time they yes. do, they have so much fun doing something that's outside of what they know. Everyone thinks they are. And that's when they can and, have you know, it, and and Downey was like, you know, it wasn't just a matter of uh playing a different character. Like he really he he stresses how much he was robbed of the things that he usually leans on by Nolan in that film. And you know, it I can't stress enough how much 
I, you can look if you've watched that Robert Downey Jr. in other films, you see him stretch in this movie. You absolutely see him reach, and and he grabs it. He absolutely grabs it. He bodies the 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 role that he was given. Um, but all the but and that's not to take away from the other actors, like Emily Blunt, um, uh, uh, our girl. Um, oh my gosh, um, Natasha's sister, Florence Pugh. Um, oh, yeah, she I kills it. She was in yep. That. Yeah, yep. Yep. she yep. kills it, bro. Oh That's my god! That's a Nolan film right there. All those stars in there, and I didn't. I didn't. Only person I knew for sure was in that film was Cillian Murphy. I didn't know. I didn't know any of the rest of the cast. Yeah, Matt Damon. Oh, dude, it's, as well, and it's like, yeah, studded, I definitely bro. didn't know he was in there. Yeah, yeah. it's studded. It's That's super dope. studded, bro. That's it's dope. it's heavy. That speaks to Nolan um, as a, the director. He keeps that. He keeps film, cinema in perspective, and he brings mm-hmm. out the best in everybody. Yeah, and this is a this is, I would say, arguably the best example of that since Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. Like he really does a good job of. There's no wasted screen time, as is all of his films. Um, as with all of his films, he he. There, there's no. There's no. There's no fluff. There's, I mean, there's tons of exposition, but in the way that Nolan uses exposition to move you from point A to point B, uh, as far as the narrative is concerned, um, and just you know, uh, the characters, the character when the character is on screen and speaking, there's a reason for it, and it either enhances the thing that's happening currently or moves the moves you to the next thing. It's it's, I I want to say his best movie to date. Uh, uh, three hours and all. It's it's arguably his best work, in my opinion. From a from a, with a film, considering he's done so many action heavy, action oriented films, there's no action. Nobody even throws a punch. Nobody smacks anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean? A fly does not get swatted in this movie. And well, I would than- argue, Sigam. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish it. Yeah, and I would I would argue. I, I can't think of anything in D'Angelo. You might you you're you're a closer follower of his of his uh of his filmography than I am, but I can't think of anything that was better in terms of just a raw film, just raw cinema. I can't think of anything that was better that he's done that's better than this. It sounds like it's it's you you it sounds like you fit in that in from the perspective of scale and scope. I, I think, mm-hmm. I think in terms of raw cinema, he's done some things that possibly might be better, but I don't know. I can't mm-hmm. say. I'll have to get back to you after I see the film, but I can see, right. I can see that being the case because at the same time he's at the peak of his of his powers, right? So like, it's not like um, this isn't Nolan from two thousand five. This is Christopher Nolan after Dunkirk and Tenet and. The Dark Knight trilogy and Inception, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't the same one that's coming off the heels of Memento and um, Insomnia and and um, the following and all of his early works that were the prestige that were just focused psychological, um, right? Narr- storytelling, um, mm-hmm. psychological, even kind of too small a word to describe those films, but um, yeah, I can see that. I, I guess now you have me looking for even more to seeing uh, the film. 
Um, I'm ashamed I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. The no, only reason that I'm going to see it again is because it was that good. Well, aside from the fact that I want to see, the, I want to do my technical watch down. It, it, I'll put it to you this way. If it wasn't that good, there's no way you'd get me in the theater for another three hours. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm about to blow six hours on this thing total in my life. But <laughs> <laughs> cinema. The cinema. Well, comfort yourself in this. You sat through damn near three hour superhero films that don't even touch that. You hear me? That through a four hour hour Justice League, I can sit through six hours of Oppenheimer. You can sit through a six hour (laughs) Nolan film and you sit through 15 minutes of a Zack Snyder. And on that note, my final <laughs> word will be on Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon trailer just dropped. And oh. I will say with uh-huh. no sarcasm that it looks uh-huh. interesting. And that was all I will say. I resist But of course that. it looks interesting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's back up. I give you a segue. I gave you a segue with that Zack Snyder comment. <laughs> I should have said let's, let's, he should not be named. <laughs> let's dial that back for a second. We know that Zack Snyder is capable of amazing things visually. So he can give you a bunch of garbage for a trailer and, and it'll look great. The trailer will always look at Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch yep. being the best example I can always give you. Sucker great, Punch looked trailer. amazing. It was great. just an Honestly, absolute that, mess of a movie. That movie did not, that trailer did. I Maybe it's because at that point I, I kind of had him picked. But you I already tweeted like, out. Yeah, I was yep. like, man, this looks interesting. From okay, you got because that's the one with the with the girls running in the uh, yeah, yeah, it's in a, like it's the, a concept artist in the school girl outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concept artist like, is okay. Dream. I'm like, yeah, like that. It's got some cool visual concepts, but it yep. looked uh-huh. like it was a hollow nothingness, and that's yeah. that's why I've never seen that. <laughs> and and I, I say that because I resisted the urge to count how many slow mo shots that they showed in the trailer. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, so did. you did. You're, you're, did. You're, ignore, you're gonna ignore all the things that make a Zack Snyder uh, yes. film a Zack yes. Snyder film in the trailer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, that. So then, okay. Rebel yeah. Moon is Netflix. Is Netflix? Netflix. He's got yep. that. Deal yep. where they're like, let he's making everything all kind yeah, of, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll watch it because it's going to be visually, uh, no matter what, the visuals uh, and the action sequences are going to be what they are. And you can, and, guys, you can, it's a new cam out here. Look at this, look at that. Look, no, no hate for he shall, who shall not be named. I, I, I would like to show this as growth. <laughs> I think no, I they find so better no things to do with my time than that. <laughs> I mean, I like, so I think going into the, the, so the problem with Sucker Punch is I didn't know what I was walking into. And I think if I knew what I was walking into, I'd have been fine. Yeah. Um, And so I think knowing now that Zack Snyder is the type of director that he is, and he tends to put together what he tends to put together. That's fair. I can walk into this. With, with with no illusions about it being, you know, uh, a coherent or, co- or cohesive narrative or well-written or any of those things. It's just going to be, I, I, listen, I've turned on movies just to watch the fight sequences. Yeah. I will, I will, 
I will flip to I will listen. I I will turn on Disney Plus if I get in the mood to watch a lightsaber duel, and I will fast forward yeah. to a lightsaber duel, and then I will turn it off. That's a good point. So, yeah. So I do that. Yeah. So that in mind, I can go see a Zack Snyder movie knowing that I'm not going to care fuck all about his about his story, his narrative, or any of the things that chain that movie together. I'm going to see great visuals. I can bank on that no matter what else happens in that movie. Yep. No, and that's right. all I'm going and that is the only reason I will watch it. But when what was the the Ryan Reynolds movie? Um the 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 the, the Michael Bay Ryan Reynolds movie that came out during the pandemic oh, on Netflix. Six, six something underground. So whatever. whatever whatever that was. We knew what we were going into when we watched oh, that. Yeah, it was we weren't looking for no plot. We were looking for explosions and there are more explosions than any other action. Michael Bay movie that I can think of in 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 any in uh, in all of existence. Yeah. So you know, even what you were walking into, you were gonna get Ryan Reynolds be you know pretty much not having a script. <laughs> He's not having a script and ad libbing everything and explosions. You got both of those things. Yeah. You walked out, movie done. So Same I will I will I will I will close this loop with a quote for one of my friends after seeing the trailer of rebel moon he said and I quote so the formula is star wars plus harry potter plus game of thrones plus girl power plus diversity got it end quote <laughs> and that that kind of sums it all up so uh well you're not you're not, you're not getting no snyder hate for me today i'll just say i put you know also just to, to, for the uh for the listeners I dropped the Rebel Moon uh, trailer into the, into our mutual chat with all of us on it, the Blurred Lines chat, and it was crickets. <laughs> I skipped it. I, I saw Rebel Moon. I was like, "Oh, the Zack Snyder movie. I got other stuff I need to do." I I only know Rebel Moon by name, so it was never something that I thought I would probably watch just because I don't really know what it is. But look, uh, mm-hmm. look for you know everybody out there. Look forward for the one man review. Uh, you know, try and we get we out here. <laughs> I mean, I'll see it. It, it, it won't be in one member review. I won't let you, I won't leave you on an island. I'll probably see it myself. Just we can, we can, like I, said, I know what I'm walking into. We, we might need a, a segment called uh, Cam and Josh watches movies that D won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you probably have a whole uh, good list of things on there, but you know, I have those things that I watch and I know what I'm going into, I know they're bad. It's just you know, Zack Snyder, I'm not, I there's yeah. some things I might watch, but Rebel Moon is probably not one of them. And yeah. the last thing I watched from him which confirmed that i can't do it otherwise i'll get a headache which was uh the army of the dead oh nah. and that one was just really weird yeah. and it, i almost vomited while i was watching it <laughs> like had vertigo like it's just it's just yeah weird. army of the dead was bad yeah couldn't do it couldn't do it so that's my that's not that's my last time that I gave him a shot. I'm like, okay, it's a zombie movie. Like you said, Josh, know what I'm walking into. I walked into it. it I walked bad. out nauseous. That's all I'm saying. I had to drink uh, the Bismol that day. Yikes. Man. I mean, you know, we don't make we don't make the movies, folks. We just watch them. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. That's you know what? I, I uh, put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Put a line merch coming soon. 
Dude, that is uh, coming soon to an online store near you. Yeah, that's uh oh man, he who shall not be named. Um yeah, that's all I can say about that, guys. <laughs> that's all I got to say. <laughs> that is all I got to say. It's going we're done here. Yep. And uh yeah, it uh, yeah, that's all I can say about that. So but you yeah, got uh, your, you got your outpoint there, uh, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> so once again everybody thanks for listening you know we saw jokes we have fun and uh yeah we'll see you guys later peace later